0: Politics, Politics. and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli. Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists. Business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean Finelli. Good afternoon.
1: This is Dean Finelli. Thank you for joining us on Politics and Life Science Radio, where we discuss cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems. I'm very excited to have Dr. Todd Buck. Todd is a attorney in Washington, D.C. at Mintz Levin. He's going to talk to us about some IP issues. But before we reach out to Todd, uh, let's recap on some of the hot issues going on in the world of life sciences, most of which, of course, revolve around covid Uh, Great news. Several states have reported zero COVID deaths for the first time in months, particularly uh, Texas, Arizona, Minnesota, and Massachusetts all reported at least one day last week with zero deaths. That's the first time uh, we've seen that since last March. So we continue to move in the right direction. More and more Americans are getting vaccinated, which is good news. It certainly has slowed down a little bit uh, since the Johnson and Johnson pause, but Nonetheless, we're still moving in the right direction, so that's great news. Uh, Politics is still driving a lot of this. We're seeing vaccination rates uh, tending to fall depending on red and blue states, where blue states seem to be uh, more amenable to getting vaccinated, and red states, uh, especially older men, uh, are a little more reluctant. So hopefully that changes or at least – you know, slowly moves in the right direction because obviously, you know, the vaccines do work over 150 million Americans have been vaccinated. They are safe. You know, they're not a hundred percent safe. There are some minor side effects of course that we've heard of, but nonetheless, the risks uh, of getting the virus definitely far outweigh any risks associated with the vaccines. The CDC came out with some recent news uh, that, is really confusing. You know, we've been talking about the CDC and the FDA and uh, particularly Dr. Fauci, who, you know, really dedicated his life to the public health of this country, but he's kind of getting banged up when it comes to, you know, Americans, when we hear the advice and hear the guidance that's coming out of CDC and FDA, uh, as he's kind of become the face of public health in this country. And the CDC said people that are vaccinated could pretty much live normal lives, indoors and outdoors. So that's certainly good news, and I think that's what a lot of people expected. That's the whole point of getting vaccinated. You know, We this whole herd immunity and getting people the vaccination drive is to get back to normal. So certainly, you know, that's been the whole point of this. It's nice that the CDC is recognizing that. Uh, one of the things Dr. Fauci said was maybe an issue is, that people are misinterpreting the cdc uh and assuming that everyone's now free to go back to normal but certainly if you have not been vaccinated uh you still need to wear that mask the the vaccines protect you from the symptoms they also have been shown the data shows that they protect the transmission uh of the virus so good to protect you good to protect others but again if you're not vaccinated you're still susceptible so you know, that's a, a big issue, and hopefully uh, these numbers of vaccinations continue to increase. Uh, we heard uh, about a week ago the Biden administration said they were going to approve uh, IP waivers when it comes to patents related to vaccines and the underlying technology. I'm very happy to bring on Dr. Todd Buck. Uh, Dr. Buck is a Ph.D. in molecular biology he is at the law firm in Washington, D.C., Mintz Levin. He's a seasoned patent prosecutor and patent portfolio manager uh, who helps clients maximize the value of their intellectual property assets. His practice includes counseling clients on portfolio strategies, preparing and prosecuting patent applications. He also provides strategic portfolio assessment and assists startup companies with developing their IP, their initial IP strategies and goals. So Todd's got a tremendous amount of knowledge when it comes to uh, biotech issues, life science issues, patent issues. So we're really lucky to have him today on Politics and Life Science Radio. Dr. Buck, thank you for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, you being here. Just a couple quick caveats um your background that you mentioned about me you said molecular biology the phd is actually in pharmacology and toxicology so i don't want the molecular biologists out there to get upset at me if i misspeak here Um, secondly the typical lawyer disclaimer uh just you know my opinions that we're talking about here are in fact my opinions they're not uh mince levin's official opinions on anything nor would they be my client's opinions on anything we're basically just two guys sort of having a virtual beer if you will all talking about these
1: issues. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We won't hold anything you say against you. Uh, so <laughs> what are some, you know, as a uh, pharmacologist uh, and a patent attorney, what are some hot issues you're seeing in the life science industry?
2: Well, uh, obviously you've already talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, the vaccines uh, that are out there and they're being distributed. You know, that, that core technology is mRNA uh, technology, uh, or a lot of that is, is at least two of the viruses are mRNA technology. There's other uh, technologies that are starting to use uh, RNA, siRNA, if you will, that are really utilizing or trying to utilizing the fundamental um, uh, discovery back in '97 uh, of fired and with the RNAi, uh, and you know for the longest time those uh, the, the biggest problems with RNAi or the potential for RNA was was delivery. Uh, and stability, and so they've been slow. Scientists have been slowly working on trying to make RNA more stable, make uh, the deliveries uh, more possible, more more realistic, if you will. And so that's really what's been happening uh, quite a while, and it's kind of been nice to see all of that uh, work sort of come to a head with with the vaccines uh, that are now being distributed. Uh, other areas are the CAR T, uh, that's chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapy. Um, there is regenerative medicine uh, that's going on out there. All of these sort of I kind of categorize under the umbrella of, of like personalized medicine, if you will. You know, you've got uh, specific antigens that uh, scientists are now realizing are specific for cancer cells. And so uh, scientists are, are trying to engineer or re-engineer some of your own cells to reproduce or produce. or Present—that's probably the better word there—some of these antigens to your own uh, immune cells, and so so that your body can start maybe attacking the the cancer cells, whereas before it was sort of being evaded. Um, there's all kinds of other things that are going on out there. Even COVID has maybe had us reassess uh, traditional drug uh, manufacturing, if you will. You know, the pipeline for for drug manufacturing, uh, the the typical batch chemistries out there that were dependent on um, maybe a lot of other countries. uh, People are rethinking that now. I mean, there's a small company in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Bright Path. They actually are starting to work on continuous flow uh, production of small molecules. And that's going to bring, that could potentially bring a lot of pharmaceutical manufacturing back to the United States. And, you know, there's no silver lining with COVID, but one thing that it's made us re reevaluate is where is our pipeline and, and are we dependent perhaps on other countries for some pharmaceuticals? So there's a lot of stuff going on, everything from small molecules to personalized medicine.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I remember last year when COVID was just starting to kind of become a global, uh, wasn't even a pandemic at the time, but I remember when it started to form a lot of countries, particularly India and China, uh, there was concern that they'd start hoarding a lot of these generic medicines that uh, we, the U.S. relies on basically because most of our generic manufacturing, or at least a large portion of it, uh, is done abroad uh, for cost reasons. So it's nice to hear that there are companies uh, that are, Finding cost-effective ways to bring that back to the U.S. Um, one question yeah. I wanted to ask you is: is you mentioned uh, mRNA, and you know that's a big issue, obviously with the COVID vaccines, especially the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are mRNA vaccines. There's been this talk of patent waivers. Can you talk a little bit about you know what types of pat well what what a patent is and what types of uh, technology patents are protected, particularly like what type of patents are around the mRNA and the, the delivery systems you mentioned uh, as they relate to the vaccines? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so first of
2: all, the, the waiver actually is is much broader than patents. And to me, that's the scariest part of the actual waiver. It's not just a patent waiver. It's an intellectual property waiver. And we'll get into that in maybe just a few minutes. I'll answer your question about what a patent is at first, but um, a patent is is a set of rights, if you will. It's almost like the deed to your property of a home if you were to own a home, except it's an idea. Uh, at the end of the patent, there's a set of claims and you could, you could sort of envision that as maybe the coordinates of the plot of land that try to sort of mark off the meets and bounds of what your invention is or what your deed of land is. Um, Ultimately, a patent is um, a set of rights that really uh, allows you to exclude others from practicing your invention. Um, It doesn't actually give you the right to practice your invention in any way. It just allows others to, allows you to prevent others from practicing the invention. Again, if we take it back to sort of your typical property uh, right land, most people can't do whatever they want to do on their land. If I live in a neighborhood, I can't put an, an oil rig on my front lawn. I can't uh, put a convenience mart in my backyard. Things are zoned for my property and around my neighborhood to where, even though I'm the owner, I can't do everything I want to do with that particular piece of land. What it does let me do is uh, help, it lets me kick people off including the government, which is the whole search warrant thing. And so if someone's on your land, you're you're allowed to sort of kick them off. And that's sort of the, the equivalent of a patent. So the, the patent doesn't really enable anyone to practice what it's trying to claim. It is it, it discloses the invention, but it doesn't let you practice necessarily the invention. There's a lot that goes into uh, practicing an actually claimed invention. And that sort of gets into some of the stuff that's uh, part of the IP waiver. When we get into a a vaccine, there's a lot of stuff, know-how and trade secrets that are vital to getting a vaccine and just about any really uh, therapeutic developed. Uh, Everything from the cell line that's used to the specific types of modifications that might be uh, around the lipid nanoparticle, the LNP that's the delivery mechanism to the specific constituents uh, within the delivery mechanism, so there's a lot of trade secrets out there. Think about, you know, the formula to Coke. That's a trade secret. The ingredients are on the label, but how you make Coca-Cola exactly is still considered a trade secret, and that's Coca-Cola's probably prime primary intellectual property. Well, here with the vaccine, you've got a patent that does describe and disclose, uh, or you could potentially have a patent. It's too early to get one at this point, but in theory, you could have patents that describe or disclose maybe the mRNA that's used to code for the specific spike protein or maybe other patents that are used for vaccine production. But there's a lot of stuff that's, that's, that's not in that patent that is required for proper vaccine production. And that's the scary part of the waiver. So back in, uh, I want to say, October of 2020, India and South, of, uh, South Africa uh, approached the WTO and said we just want an IP waiver for, I think it's uh, sections one four seven 7, and 8 of something called a TRIPS agreement. That's the uh, trade-related aspects of intel proper, intellectual property rights. That's part of the WTO. So when you're a WTO member, you have to agree to be, you have to agree to abide by the TRIPS agreement. And the TRIPS agreement is is exactly that. It's it's an agreement to respect uh, each country's intellectual property rights including patents, and including trade secrets. And so back in October, uh, Indian South Africa said, we want you to waive all that. In other words, we want to be free to basically infringe patents, and we also want uh, you, uh, we will want to be able to compel companies to tell us what their trade secrets are, uh, and their know-how are for these vaccine production, or for for the vaccine production. Um, That's the scariest part of the waiver. the interesting uh, resp- the response, of course, from the, the um, from the industry was, was predictably negative. Um, and it's because I think bio, uh, it's a biotechnology innovation organization or bio, it's a large uh, organization. It was their analogy uh, they came up with, which I think is a good one. You know, if you give someone a recipe, it doesn't really help them if they don't have a kitchen. And that's kind of what's going on here. Even if we tell you what the trade secrets are, even if we give you your patents, if these countries don't have the infrastructure and don't have the capability of generating a virus successfully, or excuse me, a vaccine successfully, then it's not going to do them any good to disclose these trade secrets. And so that's the most chilling part of the the IP waiver to me in my mind.
1: Well, let me me ask you a question because that's really interesting because, you know, it's one thing to say, all right, a patent waiver, what's in a patent? You know, they could read the patent. As you mentioned, it's the claims that protect it. But, you know, is it realistic to expect a company, let's say Pfizer or Moderna, to say, okay, we're going, even if the government said we're going to waive IP rights, is it realistic for them to say, okay, we're going to give you our trade secrets, especially, you know, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the the underlying technology is not only being used for the vaccines, but you mentioned earlier about how mRNA, a big issue, was delivery. So potentially, by giving away the trade secrets or the underlying know-how for the vaccines, they're giving away a lot more, potentially. Yeah, I agree. A lot of this
2: know-how and a lot of the trade secrets – Uh, that are used to make this vaccine are applicable to other vaccines and future vaccines and so this is in in not in theory but in reality this can be some of uh, these companies most valuable trade uh, uh, ip which is the trade secrets and the know-how so you know you know before before we you know just say give everything away I, i think what should happen is let's let's evaluate the problem and see let's see if intellectual property rights are getting in the way uh, of of vaccine dissemination and production um I, right now i would say probably not uh but but i'm willing to look at data from countries that are suggesting otherwise uh again the timing here is interesting too india and south africa uh asked for this waiver back in october of 2020 there were no vaccines then so, the vaccines that were have been authorized for they're not approved, I don't think, but they've been authorized for use um, those finally were authorized for use in December of twenty twenty so a good two months before there was any vaccine authorization at all, India and South Africa were already asking uh governments to force or compel companies to you know in essence give away i p rights so I'd like to see if there's an issue with IP rights getting in the way. I don't think there is. Uh, the uh, CEO of of Pfizer penned a letter, an open letter to his employees. I want to say about a week or two ago, uh, and it was it was a it was a good letter that indicated that they're willing. Pfizer's willing to do everything. They're willing to sell these, uh, you know, vaccines at cost to countries uh, because we've got to get ahead of this, uh, of the of the pandemic, and so to me, it seems like, and that's just Pfizer. I think the other, you know, j and J, A Z, AZ, as well as Moderna, I think they're all on board with trying to do the right thing here. So I don't know what making or forcing these companies to, to give away their IP rights, how will that solve an issue of vaccine dissemination in, in, in these countries? That's my concern.
1: Yeah, and that sounds like a legitimate concern. It doesn't sound like, hey, this is just a cop out to kind of keep IP rights. I mean, If the head of bio is saying, you know, basically, even if we give you this information, you're not going to be able to do it anyway, Um, you know, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I would guess it would, even if it's not entirely true, it would probably take them some time to figure out how to do it, in which case we already have vaccines being manufactured. Uh, It sounds like we should just have the current manufacturers just keep manufacturing on a larger scale and basically just ship them to these countries. Because I just find it very uh, conceptually hard to believe that, you know, countries develop a lot of developing countries are going to have the manufacturing facilities or the, like you said, the ability to, to even do this, even if they had the information. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I would suspect that um, if I had to guess that, it's going to be the current con- current companies that are making the vaccines that kind of get these vaccines out as opposed to new new uh, manufacturers, but that will be very interesting to see. Uh, we're talking to Todd Buck on Politics and Life Science Radio. Another question I had about IP is, um, what are, can you just describe kind of the, you know, how does biotech – you mentioned trade secrets, you mentioned patents, you know, how does biotech use uh, its IP? So maybe you could just describe the, the different types of intellectual property and how that would go into, for example, uh, protecting a product, protecting the manufacturing process, or just kind of, you know, what the concern is about the, and how the IP is really that effective in protecting these vaccines.
2: Yeah. So like I said, the, the main, to me, one of the, the biggest components here of these vaccines um, is going to be the the trade secret, the stuff that only Pfizer knows how to do with their vaccine, the stuff that only a Z knows how to do or J and j knows how to do with their vaccines. Um, those are critical to getting something done and something done well. everything from uh, the source of the <clears throat> excuse me, of the raw materials uh, to uh, cell types, I think I've already mentioned that as well, to to. Anything else along the lines? That's one aspect of it. Again, going back to the formula for Coke, or maybe the recipe for you know Campbell's tomato soup. Those are trade secrets, and so how Coca-Cola makes its product gives its, other than marketing, it gives it a, a competitive advantage, of course, because of that particular product is desirable by by the by by the by the, 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 um, by, by the general public. Um, but the idea of tying patents in with it, thats every, every biotech uh, company will, will do that. I advise my clients all the time about when we're talking about patents, uh, we do have to seriously consider trade secrets. And so is it something that only we can do? And if we can only do this or we found some sort of magic bullet, if you will, do we keep that and use that as, as a leverage in a negotiation or do we, do we put it into a patent? The thing about a patent is there's the the quid pro quo of a patent, the quid pro quo being um, we will give you, the Constitution says, we'll give you uh, exclusive rights for a limited time for your invention, but in exchange, you have to tell us what to do. You have to tell us how you did this and and what, uh, you know, the magic soup is. And so there's always going to be a balance of do I want to, do I want the exclusivity that's sanctioned by the government, or or do I wanna to try to hold that to myself as long as possible? Um, you know, one thing that, th- that I wanna to touch about really briefly is there could be mechanisms already in, in the TRIPS uh, agreement that could solve this. And that's the compulsory license uh, aspect of the TRIPS agreement. There is uh, a, a, an avenue for countries that don't have sufficient resources to compel companies to license products or license their IP in. And that's very different than a waiver. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, during the HIV uh, AIDS crisis, African countries approached the WTO, uh, and it took uh, a while, but the WTO reached consensus about a compulsory licensing. That's already in there. So instead of, you know, pressing the nuclear uh, option button here and just forcing companies to disclose, you know, maybe we should think about uh, asking for see if this compulsory license scheme will work. I think that would be a balance between IP rights and also protecting the IP rights of, of these innovators. Um, and then the last point I wanted to make about this is that e- even if Pfizer were forced to do so and they did so, for example, we, we keep saying Pfizer, but it's the other ones as well, uh, if they were forced to, to disclose this, fine, they disclose it here, but if there's another pandemic, heaven forbid, six, seven years from now, what company is going to jump into the fray if they think at the end of the day, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to be forced to give away all of my trade secrets. I'm going to, like if Coca-Cola were suddenly forced to realize they have to give away the actual way they form Coca-Cola, would they go into a specific market or would would they take a specific action, if you will? if at the end of the day they thought well we're going to have to give away the entire trade secret in other words the entire value of coca-cola i don't think many companies would be willing to jump into that uh in the future if that's what happens in this particular situation
1: now if these companies have to give up their ip rights do they have are they compensated for that
2: i don't know i don't know how you would enforce a trade secret i've I don't know of a mechanism to where a government is, you know, is compelling you to, to give away a trade secret. Uh, I know there's the takings clause in the Constitution, uh, and I, I guess that would trigger in, at least from the United States perspective, the takings clause. But other than that, I don't know how uh, these companies would, would be compensated for, for literally a government taking away their intellectual property.
1: Yeah, great issues, really important issues. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Dr. Buck, thank you so much for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. I understand you also have a, a podcast that you host for Mince Levin uh, called Exclusive Rights. It's an intellectual property podcast that uh, attorneys there, including yourself, host. So uh, check out uh, Intellectual Property Podcast on Mince Levin site. Uh, Dr. Buck, thanks again for joining us. It will be great to see how this all plays out, what goes on with these, you know, how these developing countries get through the the crisis that they're in now. When you look at India, uh, a country that really has the ability to produce its own vaccines, the Serum uh, Institute uh, in India, I believe, was one of the, the largest manufacturers of of vaccines. And nonetheless, you know, you see the situation there. And so it's really interesting to see how this is playing out and how this will play out. So look forward to talking to everyone again. Thank you for joining us on politics and life science radio. This is Dean Finelli.
0: Thank you for listening to politics and life sciences radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.